Uh, we are looking at heritage the next couple of weeks here at Willow Bend. You guys are the oldest church in Collin Association. The oldest church in this whole area. 1850. Unbelievable. 1850. You know who the, you know who the president was in 1850? When you guys were constituted? Zachary Taylor. Zachary Taylor was the 12th president of the United States of America. And that's when this church was instituted. Now, now this church was instituted in, in February and he died in July. And so then Willard Fillmore came along. And then, you know, about 10 years later, a guy by the name of Abraham Lincoln. You guys have heard of him, you know. 10 years older than that. Is how long this church has been here. I mean, you've been here a long time. Next, a week from next Tuesday, our country will be choosing its 45th president. Now think about that. This church was constituted when the 12th president was in office. And we will be choosing our 45th president. So, you know, y'all have been around a long time, established in... uh, 1850 by Eli Witt. Eli Witt served as your first pastor for about five years. I'll bet I, I may be. I bet Eli preached longer than I do. <laughs> I bet he preached a long time. But 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 guys, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture this area being basically a prairie. And, and a little white clapboard building that they built. And, and horses and buggies pulling up to the front of the church house and meeting to worship their God, lifting up Jesus Christ as the only hope for salvation for men. And here we are, all these years later, doing the same thing. Amen? Amen? Doing the same thing. Now, I'm pretty sure that the style of worship has changed a little since 1850, okay? What's that? <laughs> Not even going to touch that. <clears throat> But the message is the same. And, and, and I've got a little different kind of message for you today, and you're, you're going to wonder where I'm going, but I think when we get there, you'll understand why we went there. But here again, in a, in a little over, in a little less than two weeks, we'll be choosing our next president. Uh, we'll be choosing congressmen. We'll be choosing senators. We'll be choosing all kinds of people to, to govern our nation. And in our world today, how do we as Christian people live out our Christianity in a society that quite honestly is so messed up as ours? How do we do that? How can we be light in this world? How can we be salt in this world? How can we be a part of the process? I mean, look, I pastored for many years. I never, ever once 
told people how to vote because that's the wrong thing to do. I never ever once even said that, you know, you should do this or you should do that. I did say you should vote and all of you should vote. You should be a part of the process. You should get out and vote. And this is the strongest thing I've ever said about any candidate ever in all of my ministry. But I have to say it. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of Americans, and we've got the choice we've got. Wow. That's all I got to say. But you know what? Isn't it wonderful that Jesus is Lord? Isn't it wonderful that He's in control? Isn't it wonderful that no matter who gets elected and no matter how much we may like them or dislike them or dislike both of them or whatever it is, that our God is in control. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's with us and He always will be with us. And so whatever the elections bring, our God is still God. And we as Christians have a place in His family. So how do, how do we live in this world? Because, because you see, we are a people in the United States that says we believe in freedom. And we do believe in freedom. And you need to understand that you come from a history of religious freedom. Now I know that, that we don't like labels these days. And so we don't use labels like we once did. You know, used to, it didn't, it didn't really make any difference what was going on up at the church. You were born onto a label and you just stayed there the rest of your life. Nowadays we don't believe in labels. But, but you need to understand that, that the Hickory Baptist Church that was started here in 1850 came from a rich tradition of freedom. Freedom of religion. Freedom of worship. Freedom to live our lives under the leadership of God as we saw fit. You come from a great heritage of freedom. You know, one of the great characteristics of our forefathers in the faith is that we didn't want anybody telling us how to worship. We wanted to be able to worship as we chose. And so today we're going to go through a little history in the sense that we are people of freedom. And we cannot ever truly be free unless what? Christ sets us free. But you know, in our world today, we look for all these other things to to give us answers. We look for the government to give us answers. Or we look for... A, a special therapy to give us answers. Or we look for this kind of, this group process or whatever to give us answers. Or, or, you know, all these different things to give us answers. But the Bible tells us that the only real answer to our problems and the condition, the sinful condition of man is faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we have to lash ourselves to. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not against programs. I'm not against, you know, therapies. I'm not against things that can help us as long as we don't make them more important than the God that can set us free. And so that God, our God, the one that loved us enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, 
Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord, our brother, the one that walked on this earth in the flesh, and yet He never sinned, died on the cross for us, rose again on the third day, sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on our behalf right now, and one day will come back in power and glory. Can you imagine how many people in our world today that are going to be shocked when that day comes? They're going to be shocked. They're going to say, oh my goodness, all of those people that we thought wasted all of those time going to church, they were right. We were wrong. They had the real answer. It wasn't in social programs or political things or, or, or you know, they had the answer. But how, what's the answer for us? And how do we hold on to that sense of freedom that, that Christ gives us? And how do we live that out in our lives? Well, you know, very simply, we find it, I believe, in the prophet's admonition to Israel, found in Micah 6, starting with verse 6. And, and listen, listen to what the prophet says that God says. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? In other words, how can I come before God? How can I approach the living God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased if I bring him a thousand rams with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my sins, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He goes through all these things. Should I, should I bring all of these elaborate offerings before the Lord? Should I even sacrifice my own child? before? Would that bring the Lord happiness? Would that make Him pleased with me? He says, no. The Lord's shown you what you need to do. You need to act justly. You need to be merciful. And you need to walk humbly with your God. You know, we come from a tradition of freedom. And the reason we come from that tradition of freedom is we didn't want anybody to tell us how to worship. That's called a free church in a free state. And you know, we believe that we ought to have a free church in a free state. The church state is when the government is no longer neutral about matters of faith and becomes an advocate for the church. And I want to tell you something, guys. I'll tell you all my life. Uh, all, the whole time I've been pastoring, most of the people in my church, they wanted the church, they wanted the state to be an advocate for the church. They wanted that. They wanted the, the church to be advocate, I mean the state to be an advocate for the church. But, but 
you see, the problem is, you know, it sounds good. It sounds good, doesn't it? In, in the church state, Christ is elevated to rule on Caesar's throne and uses Caesar's power to extend the kingdom of God. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? You know, the only problem is it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It never has worked. You know, the problem is that Jesus refused Caesar's throne. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus refused to take that position. Jesus never wanted it. He knew that the kingdom of God came in other ways. Not through political power, not through intimidation, but through God changing men's hearts and lives one at a time. There have been several noble attempts to make the state the instrument of God's church and to bring about the kingdom on earth, and they all fail. They all fail. You know, let me tell you a story. That, that's how our country started. Did you know that? Did you know the Puritans came across the big pond because they were being persecuted back in England? Did you all learn that when you made construction paper pilgrim hats, you know, and, and, and you put your hands and you, you drew your, you know, you, you outlined your hand and you made a, a turkey at Thanksgiving? You learned that, right? Yeah. They left over there to come over here so that they wouldn't be persecuted. But guess what happened when they got over here? They persecuted everybody that didn't believe the way they did. They persecuted folks like you and me that believe in freedom of conscience and freedom of the soul. People that believed like we do here at Willow Bend Church today were put in stocks and beaten in New England, uh, in, in the New England colony. Because they didn't believe in religious freedom. They believed, in, they, they were being persecuted for what they believed, so they came over here and then they persecuted everybody and believed the way they did. And that's the truth. And that's why a guy named Roger Williams, y'all ever heard of Roger Williams? You know, he went over to Providence, Rhode Island, before it was Providence, Rhode Island. And he started the first church of free freedom in the United States. And he was pretty much a Baptist, and he believed the way we believe today. But you know what Roger Williams also believed? He also told anybody in that area, he said, let me tell you something. You're free to come and worship with us as you choose, but you know what? You're free not to worship with us too. And if you don't come worship with us, we're not going to throw you in stocks because we want you to have freedom. And you see, we come from a, a history of freedom, a history of, 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 of believing that, that we need to, to live our faith out the way God shows us to live our faith according to the dictates that are in the Holy Scripture. Massachusetts Bay Colony, you know, persecuted people that didn't agree with them. But, but, but they, you know, they were preceded by John Calvin's efforts in Geneva. They persecuted people that didn't agree with them. And they were, per, they were preceded by the Holy Roman Empire who persecuted people that didn't believe like them. You know, history has taught us anything. It's taught us that when the state ceases to be free, 
and the church runs the state. And the church, the state and the church are pretty much together. It's a very short time before the church is corrupted. And the church ceases to be free. Our Baptist fathers knew that. I've talked to you, I've told you about Roger Williams. You know, if you want to, if you're bored one day and you want to Google some people, look up a guy named Isaac Backus. You know, look up what Virginia Baptist did. If it were not for Virginia Baptist, we would probably not have the First Amendment to our United States Constitution. And yes, they played hardball. <laughs> they, they basically said, we have the votes and we're going to vote you guys out if you don't bring the First Amendment to the United States Constitution that guarantees us freedom of religion so that we can worship the way that we choose to worship. Our history and our faith, we, 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 we need the freedom to to worship as we choose. But the other side of that is the state has no right to discriminate against the church. Amen? They have no right to discriminate against us. Uh, most of us today believe that the, ch- the state in one way or another does persecute people that, that have Christian ideas. I mean, when a Christian institution, in some of our Christian institutions... That, that are owned by Baptists are, are told they have to, uh, you know, have certain kinds of insurance because that in, and that insurance covers certain kinds of things that maybe are not in <clears throat> are not congruent with our beliefs, you know, in our faith, you know, though those things come about many years ago. Reinhold Niebuhr wrote a letter uh, to a justice on the Supreme Court, Felix Frankfurter, and he said the prevailing philosophy which is pumped into our schools day after day is in itself a religion. It preaches the redemption of men by historical development and by scientific objectivity. It does not have to worry about the separation of church and state. You see, we're teaching... We live in a society now where we basically teach that you don't need God, that that science can solve all our problems or a certain therapy can solve all our problems or, or whatever. And, and guys, quite honestly, if we don't need God the way the Bible says we need God, we need to close our doors and never come back. Because God is our only answer. Jesus Christ is our only redemption. We need freedom to worship those things. And it calls for freedom on both sides. So what do we do? What do we do? How, how, can we, how can we do this as individuals? Because isn't it, isn't, it, isn't it overwhelming sometimes? I mean, isn't it overwhelming to think that you or me can make a difference in our society? Isn't it crazy? I think that when we lived, I think that back in 1850, when Hickory Baptist Church started meeting on this plot of ground, life was a lot simpler, don't you? Wasn't life simpler? I mean, you knew everybody in town. You knew everybody. And you knew the guy that had problems, and you knew the guy that, that you know, that uh, you knew things. And you didn't know about the, the, the thousands of people that lived around you because thousands of people didn't live around you. 
and you barely knew what was going on in the rest of the state, and you sure didn't know everything that was going on in the rest of the country, and there's no way you knew what was going on in Syria or Turkey or someplace else. You didn't have all those things to worry about. Life was simpler. And I believe, quite honestly, we as Christians have fallen into this deal where we we have sensory overload. We know about so much, so many problems, so many hurts, so many injustices. And we say there's no way that we can make a difference in all that. So since we can't fix it all, we just step back and we don't do anything. It's too big. I know you've heard this story, but it's one of my favorites, so I'm going to bore you with it again. But every time I start feeling that way, I start thinking about the little boy that was walking along the seashore. And he was walking along the seashore, and and, and the tide had gone back out, and there was all these starfish on the seashore. And he was walking along, and he was picking them up, and he was throwing them back into the ocean. Then this guy came along and he said, Son, what in the world are you doing? He said, I'm throwing these starfish back into the ocean. And he said, Son, there's hundreds of them. Maybe th- You can't save them all. You can't make a difference. And the little boy picked up a starfish, he threw it back, and he said, I made a difference for that one. And you see, that's how we as Christians have to look at our lives. We can't change this whole world all by ourselves. Amen? And you know what? You can't even change Plano. But you can make a difference in people's lives day after day after day. Oh, listen, I've had some wonderful, wonderful, what I call seasoned saints. That means they're old, okay? Old people. And I've, I've known the, you know, and they, Pastor, I've done my deal. I've served my time. Now it's time for the young folk to take over. Okay. I think the young folk do need to, to get to work. That doesn't mean you don't have anything left to do either. You see, I believe this. I believe that as long as God allows us to be on this planet, if we are truly part of His family, If we're expecting when we die to have a place up in glory, then as long as He keeps us here, He wants us to make a difference. He wants us to be His witnesses, His disciples, His people going about doing good. He wants us to act justly. He wants us to love mercy. He wants us to walk humbly with Him. It's important that you get involved. I don't know in what, okay? But you need to be involved in touching people's lives with a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Guess what? The Bible doesn't say that politicians are the light of the world. The Bible doesn't say that a government program is the salt of the earth. The Bible says that you as a born-again believer are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And you can make a difference. Get involved. Stand up for what you believe. 
That's harder than it used to be. Amen? It's just harder. It's harder. I tell you what, how many of you guys are on Facebook? Yeah, a lot of... I am too. It's amazing how what you say on Facebook, it, and the most innocuous thing, might come back and get you. There are people out there that you think will agree with you that don't. <laughs> and so, you know, but we need to stand up for what we believe. We need to get involved. We need to vote next Tuesday, if you haven't already. Make, make, your, make your, you know, pray to God to lead you and be involved in the process. You know, it's, it's a lot like, a lot like and, and I hope I don't, I'm probably going to step on some toes here. But, but it's a lot like, um, you know, a lot of people, um, uh, Christians are becoming more and more isolationist. We're becoming more and more isolationist. You know, Christian parents are either homeschooling their kids or putting them in Christian schools. And, and, and I want to say to folks sometimes, well, if all the good kids leave the, the public schools, what happens to the public schools? You know? I mean, I mean, we need to be in the world, but not of the world. But a lot of us are forgetting that God wants us in the world. We're just, you know, kind of separating ourselves back to, you know, have our own little, our own little world here. So get involved. Number two, and this, this is something that I think Christians need to hear. I know all politicians need to hear it. But I think we Christians need to hear it. And that is that no matter how worthy the cause, the ends does not justify the means. No matter how worthy the cause, the ends does not justify the means. Will Rogers said this. I love Will Rogers. He said, if the American people received just half of what was promised them during election time we'd all lose our incentive to go to heaven. Did y'all hear that? Yeah. Yeah. We must be people of honesty. We must be people of integrity. You know. We, uh, there have been fights all through Christianity, through Christian history, where Christian people, in order to get the right result, did the wrong thing. That is never ordained of God. You hear what I'm saying? You don't, we'd never do the wrong thing to get the right result. The ends never justifies the means. And, 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 and I'm going to step on some... Be careful not to reduce Christianity to some small hole or to identify one group too closely. They're the Christian group. Those other guys aren't. Be careful about that. Be careful. You know, does, does one party or one line of thought have a monopoly on justice? Does one party or one group have a monopoly on mercy? Does one have a monopoly on humility? The way I see it, neither one of them have much of that. And so, you know, be careful. Be careful. Not to assume that, that Christ is always on that group's side or or that group said. When I was in seminary, I, I uh, when I was working on my doctorate, 
my minors in preaching. And some of you must say, oh my goodness, you didn't get your money's worth. You know, I don't know. But uh, my minor was in preaching. And so one of my classes was very unique uh, in, in uh, doctoral work. We had to pick some social, some event in history, some, some topic, and we had to see how preachers down through the centuries related to that topic. Well, my topic was war. And so down through the centuries, I saw how preachers addressed the topic of war or preached during wartime in their respective situations. You know what I found out? It didn't make any difference if they were, well, let's just start in the Civil War. It didn't make any difference if they were northern preachers or southern preachers. God was on their side. Did you know it didn't make any difference if they were German preachers or American preachers or French preachers or Belgian preachers? During World War I, God was on their side. Didn't make any difference who, you know, what, what conflict it was. God was on their side. And it's amazing how that can't be true. Amen? Can't, God can't be on everybody's side. Listen to what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, and I quote, in 1862... The will of God prevails. A great contest. Each party claims to act in accordance with the will of God. Both may be and one must be wrong. God cannot be for and against the same thing at the same time. In this present civil war, it is quite possible that God's purpose is something different from the purposes of either party. You see what he was saying? Be careful about saying, oh, God's on our side. Because if there's one thing I understand about the Scriptures, the Scriptures tell us that we don't think the way God does. And God is... we, We cannot even fathom the height and the depth and the breadth of our God. We can't fathom Him. He allows us to call Him Father. We know He's our Creator. He know, we know that He is our Redeemer. But, but we don't understand Him. Because our, our minds are finite and He is infinite. We, you know, we're, we're weak and He's omnipotent. We live in our one little time and space. And He's omnipresent over all time and all things has always been, and will always be. And I think sometimes, I I, I like to think our God, even though He's a just God and a righteous God, I also like to think He has a sense of humor. (laughs) And I think sometimes we make these bold pronouncements, God is on this side, or God is on that side. And He sits there and goes, eh, no, not really. You don't get it. You don't understand. You see, I, I think sometimes we're, 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 we're saying, we're giving the wrong answer because we're not even asking the right question. So where do we go? We go back to our God saying, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to spend time with you. 
I want you to know that through my son Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven. You don't have anything to feel guilty about because you've been washed as white as snow. I want you to walk in this world and I want you to walk in justice. And I want you to walk in mercy. And I want you to walk humbly. And I want you to to walk close to me and spend time with me. Yes, I want you to stand up for me. But be very careful about what you say about me and and the group that I wholeheartedly endorse. Because you know what? I may not. I may not. Now, I think many people have said this to me, and I'm just going to say this, and, and I think a lot of our lives are a lot like what people have said to me about this presidential election. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, saying I'm, right, I'm not saying these people are right when they said this. I'm not saying that. Notice how not committal I am about everything, okay? But, but a lot of people have said to me, I don't like either candidate. I'm just going to do, I'm going to vote because I'm going to vote for the lesser of two evils or whatever, you know. I think a lot of our lives are like that in the sense that a lot of times in this fallen and broken down world in which we live, we don't choose between a great choice and a terrible choice, no matter what the choice. Amen? Sometimes we have to choose between two difficult choices. Sometimes we don't know. And I'm not talking, here again, I'm not just talking about politics here. I'm talking about life. We live in a fallen, broken world. And guess what? It's all been clouded and touched by the sin that came into this world. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in the Garden of Eden? Wouldn't that be great? You know, I, see, I believe that people really lived as long as the Bible says they did. You know why they lived that long? Because the bodies that they inherited were so close to the perfection that God created. And we're so far away from that that we don't live near that long. But, but we don't make choices between two perfect things. We make difficult choices living our lives in a difficult world. Now, I say that to say this, and if you haven't heard anything else I've said all day, I want you to hear this. Do not use the excuse that there's not a perfect choice or I can't fix that problem completely or I can't, you know, whatever. Don't be an all or nothing thinker, okay? Because if you use that kind of thinking, it gives you a wonderful excuse to step back and not be a part of being a light and salt in this world. Hey, you know what? I can't make a big difference anyway. I'm not going to try. I can't make a difference, so I'm not going to get involved. I can't make a difference, so I'm going to stay on the sidelines. And I believe this with all of my heart. If there's one thing that we can learn from the life of Jesus, we can learn that He did not stand on the sidelines. He was always getting involved in people's lives. He was always making a difference. He was always out there amongst the people. Now, yes, He would retreat 
to spend time with his father, but what would he do the next day? He was right back out there. Right back out there. And so I encourage you, in the midst of our crazy, complicated, fallen, sinful world, as a Christian person, as a person that has the Holy Spirit living in your life, please don't step out of the fight. Don't step out of the conflict. Don't step out of the struggle. Be a part of it. Step in and be a part of it. Even though it's not perfect and even though it's fallen and even though you may not be able to choose always between two great choices. Maybe you have to choose between two tough ones. This last week, and you know, it's, it's not a big deal, I share this to share. But my mom's been in the hospital. My mom's been in the hospital for, for, for uh, uh, quite a while now. And yes, I did go out of town, but my brother was in town, and you know, we take shifts taking care of her. So I don't you think I'm a bad, bad son or anything. But she's been in the hospital, and now she's in rehab. And she had uh, irregular heartbeat. And she was retaining fluid. And... Uh, and, and all of that. And she wasn't eating. And so her weight was going down. And all of that. Well, now she's better. Her heart's back in regular rhythm. And, and, and they got the fluid off of her. And now she's at a rehab. And they want to... But she's lost all this strength because she was laid up for two weeks. Before she went in the hospital, she could walk without any assistance at all. Now she can barely walk with a walker. Now... When I heard those doctors talking about what they should do for my mom, and even now when they talk about rehab, guess what? They're not choosing between two great choices. They're choosing between what they can do for an 81-year-old woman with the limitations that her age and her physical problems put on them. I talked to the rehab people yesterday. You know what they said? They said, we want to work your mom to the point where she can get up and do the things she did before, but we have to be careful because if we push her too hard, we're afraid she'll go into that irregular heartbeat again. You say, why are you telling me all that? What I'm telling you is that when it comes to the choices about my mother's health care, there aren't any great choices. There are just... Choices and maybe better choices. And that's the way our lives are. Sometimes we don't have great choices. We just have choices and better choices. And so what I want to say to you today, you are a child of God. You have the light of the world inside you. You are the salt of the earth Do not stand on the sidelines. Get involved. Make a difference. Be the person God wants you to be in this world. I don't care if you're 8 or 85 or older than that. If God is giving you life, He's still got a job for you to do. You can still make a difference in people's lives. I think I told a few weeks ago I went back to San Antonio and did a funeral for, for a woman who was pretty elderly. 
her and her husband made a difference in people's lives until the day she died. He's alone now. He's still making a difference in people's lives. And I think he's 88 years old. Because he believes that God, that life is a gift, and as long as he's here, God wants to use him. Now, I say the same thing to you. God wants to use you. Not a perfect world, always, not always good choices, but let's be involved and let's be the people God wants us to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. See, that's your heritage. Your heritage is a heritage of freedom. Your heritage is a heritage of people that did not just take the status quo. Your heritage is a heritage of pioneers and people that said, we are going to live our lives the way God has called us to live them and we're going to do what God wants us to do. May we all have that attitude in the life that God has given us. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you know that, well, you know our world better than we do. You know the problems, you know the troubles, you know that it's so easy for us as Christians to get discouraged, to feel like we can't make a difference. But Father, I pray that you will help us to know what you want us to do, how we can make a difference and where we can make a difference in the, and how we can be real salt and real light in our world. 